We have a special guest here today. Would you welcome Judy and her Judy Bowman and her son Steve? They are USA missionaries with an organization called Wheel Power, based here in Lynchburg, Virginia. And Judy and Steve, would you stand, please? Where, oh, here you are. Very good. And um, we've got. Do you have some other friends with you here today? Who are your other friends? Where's Steve? Come on out with the bike. Now, this is the bicycle that's going to go this summer from Maine down to Florida. And Judy is looking for a team to ride with him. Do you recognize who that is? Okay, that's Charles Billingsley. Let's give Charles a hand. Hey. They are riding the bicycle to raise funds in alumni meetings from Maine to Florida. They'll be raising funds for the New Towns Alumni Ministry Training Center. Uh, they're doing three things. They ride, they raise money, and they reach people for Christ. Judy has already been across America. How many times have you ridden a bicycle across America? 14 times. Some of you haven't been across town yet. <laughs> when I was a kid, I got on a bicycle and rode all the way around South Carolina. That's about the most I've done. Today, they'll be in the bookstore this week recruiting you to ride with them or to help set up meetings, and they do this for the glory of Jesus Christ, and they'll be on that bicycle this summer. Today, I'd like to speak to you about being a second-generation champion. When the first generation passes away, the second generation has to take over, and we are here on the cusp of a change. Moving from Dr. Falwell Sr. to Dr. Falwell Jr. Moving from Jerry Falwell the pastor to Jonathan Falwell the pastor. And you are a second generation. And today I want to point out to you what you as a second generation champion can do. How to become a second generation champion. And at the end of this sermon I'm going to challenge you. Do everything the founders have done but do it better and bigger. And my challenge to you is to do everything that's been done. I think of, in the early days, I walked around with a notebook. And every time one of our graduates reached 1,000 in attendance in a church, a church he planted, I would write down a name. And I kept that list until we got up to about 14, 15, or 16. And for some reason, I stopped. But I want to challenge you to go out and build bigger and better churches, to go out and begin Bible colleges and Christian liberal arts colleges around the world bigger and better than liberty. Now, when you think in terms, let me first of all talk about, think of all the things, you who are second generation champions, think of what you're going to miss. First of all, you won't get the excitement of being here in that first week. Now, there were people who were on the Mayflower and they saw Plymouth Rock and they landed. But then another generation had to cut down the forest. They had to plant the ground and build farms. There was a man who went to the moon. There was a Lindbergh who crossed the Atlantic, the first one. Nobody remembers the second. But I, I want to remind you that many people today, pilots, have done 10 times better than anything Lindbergh has ever done. Some of you, you'll never get the privilege of living on Treasure Island or Stuart Arms downtown. And even though it was old and decayed, there was a fellowship there. 
and that lobby of kids together. Some of you will never get a chance to stand in the snow. There was an old barn. If you go to the football field and go straight up in the air about 100 feet from the 50-yard line, that used to be a ridge across there and a road across there. Today it's a football field. There was a barn up there. And we went and stood in the snow and we sang to an empty mountain, I want that mountain. By faith, we made a strong commitment. We want to do something for God. And you'll never get the privilege of having those great Halloween parties in that old barn where Scaramore started. There's a lot of things you can't do, but let's talk on the other side. What can second generations have? Well, first of all, second generation people, you've got better dorms than anything we ever had at the beginning. You've got microwaves. You've got two to a room. Now, we thought the only way to have a college is to have four to a room. And today, you've got two to a room, and some of you would like private rooms. Today, we have accreditation. For eight years, students came, and we promised one day we'll have accreditation. I remember the day. Jerry Falwell's not a hugger of men. He shook hands. But he came up, grabbed me, hugged me, and he said, we did it, because we had just heard in 1970, we got SACS accreditation. Think of those who didn't have that, and you don't even think about it today, we already have it. I think of some of the other things. We didn't have a field, a playing field. We didn't have locker rooms. We didn't have trophy cases. We just had a group of guys wanting to play football and baseball, going to Miller Park. And today, think of the buildings you've got. Think of the weight rooms, all you've got. You are second generation Christians. You have advantages that the first generation Christian never had. Listen carefully as I read about old Elijah and young Elisha. Now the names are so similar to make sure you stay with me. I want to read it and I'm going to add the word old and young as I read. When the Lord was about to take old Elijah up into heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgad. And old Elijah said to young Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But young Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. And the group of prophets from Bethel came to young Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know. Young Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to young Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, young Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then old Elijah said to young Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jordan River. But again, young Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as old Elijah and young Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then the old one, Elijah, folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The water divided, and the two of them went across on dry land. When they came to the other side, old Elijah said to young Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And young, the young one, Elisha, replied, I pray 
let a double portion of your spirit rest upon me. You've asked a difficult thing, old Elijah replied. But if you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, but if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and old Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Young Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. As they disappeared from sight, young Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up old Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then young Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with old Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and young Elisha went across. When the group of the prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. First of all, I want to say that if you're a generation two person, you must have the same bold faith to not turn back. How many times have we heard from this pulpit, Dr. Fall will say, don't quit, don't quit. He would say, today, if you quit, you may quit one day too soon, for tomorrow may be the day that God answers your prayer. Don't quit. And so young Elisha is walking along, and he meets prophets, and they say, turn back. Don't you know what's going to happen? Fifty of them come along and say, don't you know what's happened? And he doesn't turn back, even when the older Elijah says, don't you know what's going to happen? Go back. And I want to challenge you today not to quit. God has called you. God has put a vision in your mind. God has put something upon your heart, a burden to serve him. And therefore, to be a second generation champion, the first ingredient is to not turn back, to not quit, to keep on going. Napoleon once said, victory belongs to the most persevering. And therefore, if you persevere, you'll get a bachelor's degree. And if you persevere, you may get a master's and a doctor's degree, and you may build a business. As I shake hands with some of these young men who come along, some men who have built businesses and made as much as $400 million, I look at them now, and I scratch my head, and I said, how did he do that? I didn't think he would make it, and he comes up big. And I look at some of you, and I scratch my head, and I said, they'll never make it. And yet, I don't know what's in your heart. Only God knows. And God wants to do something big through many of you. Churchill was the one who said, never, never, never give up. Number two, second generation champions must have bold faith to stay with their leaders. If I could characterize Jerry Falwell, I would say he had bold faith that led to bold prayers that led to bold action. I was in chapel one day, and it was Dr. Falwell who said, those seven buildings up on the hill, up by the chapel, they were empty, nothing's inside of them, a roof's on, brick walls up, and he said, follow me, and he walked down and out the front door, and he said, walk around the buildings, let's pray and ask God for $5 million. Bold faith led to a bold action 
came from bold prayers, asking God to do something. Dr. Falwell walked in the back room one day as we walked in today. Did you hear? Vernon Brewer has cancer. He's got six months to live. He's not going to make it. That wouldn't Falwell do. He walked here to the pulpit and he said, we can't let Vernon die. God has his hand upon him. And I remember this thing that really kind of curled my hair. We've got to change God's mind. I thought, oh, that's pretty tough. And he said, I want every one of you starting tonight to fast, all of us, from now until tomorrow night. He said, uh, Marriott's going to close down. And I remember somebody coming up and whispering. He said, well, some of you will have to eat, so we'll leave one line open at Marriott. But let's 50, that's all 5,000 fast. Bold faith led to bold prayers that led to bold action. So that night, I was up at the prayer chapel, 2 o'clock in the morning, praying. And all around that prayer chapel, some of you are here today who were there. There were small groups. And I led for one hour from 2 to 3. And I started home. Dr. Towns, come pray with us. And I prayed with one group after another. And we believed that God could heal Vernon Brewer. Now, April the 25th is coming up. I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to dial Vernon Brewer. Hello, Vernon, this is Elmer. Say it every year. And then I say the wrong, it's bad grammar, but it's good theology. Ain't it great to be alive? And he's going to say yes. And you know, that was over 25 years ago, 1985, April the 25th. Bold faith. And so if you're going to be a great champion, bold faith, don't quit. And number three, second generation Christians are going to have people watching you. There are going to be people watching you, moms, dads, sweethearts, family, churches. They're going to watch you. Now, the good thing about being a first generation, people didn't expect much of that 154 people. We were a group of people who said we want to reach the world with our students. And nobody expected much. Matter of fact, I think people saw a group of students at Sunday school classes using a church library and a church gym and eating meals in a church dining room. Matter of fact, I look at you kids, you've got some of the best meals ever. You can go and get a fajita, or you can get spaghetti, or you can get a wrap, or you can get anything you want to. In the first year, we had a couple of ladies who was cooking the meals. And I think it was, I had it pretty much timed. On Thursday, the kids could always tell when Dr. Towns was leaving to go home for lunch, that was liver day. And so they served liver, and if you don't like liver, you didn't get to eat that day because they would fix the meals that first year in bowls and put them on the table. And I don't like liver. Anybody with me like that? Like, anyway, uh, the kids would always say, Dr. Towns is leaving. It must be liver day. You have so many options. I'm looking forward to going to Doc's Diner. I'm looking forward to all that God has given us. Um, people are watching. Now, your mom is watching your dad is watching. They've sent you here. They expect much. Many in that first year, they came and said, don't go to that school. It's not accredited. Don't go to that school. They would say, that school doesn't have recognition. What can you do if you go through that? Folks, 
Think in terms of our forefathers who came to America. They sat in log cabins taught by preachers out of a blue-black spelling book. And America had nothing in the way of educational institutions in England, they had what is called the red brick colleges. The finest educational institutions of the day came out of England, and little America rose up. Little America pioneers. Little America with nothing and no education and no PhDs, and we whipped the biggest empire in the world. And God came and touched little liberty. We started with the faith of a man, Jerry Falwell, and every once in a while, I'm called co-founder. I know better. I know we have a founder. It's Jerry Falwell. And co-founder means nothing, but we have a founder. I always look to him as the leader. And I, Jerry said to me, Elmer, set the academic program. I'll raise the money. I'll recruit the students. I'll build the buildings. And together, we can build the greatest university in the world. I heard that. I heard that. Next point. You must follow the example, if you're a second generation champion, you must follow the example of those who've gone before. Elijah took his mantle, struck the water, and it divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry land. And young Elijah walked along. It wasn't his faith, it was the faith of old Elijah and they walked across on dry land. I want to admit today, I'm not a man of great faith. I can plod, I can keep up. Dr. Falwell had the faith. I used to always talk about Dr. Falwell's great faith. He said, Elmer, I don't have great faith. I have faith in a great God. Anybody can do what I've done if they just realize that they have faith in a great God. Young people, God is great, bigger than anything you can imagine. If you put your faith in him, if you have a grain of mustard seed faith, put your faith in him and you can do, you can do what Dr. Falwell has done. You can do it bigger and you can do it better. Sitting on platform those early days, I would listen to the speakers. And at the very first chapel service, I forget who we had in, a young man was talking about, it was a friend of Jerry's, went out and built a church. I said, whoa, boy, this is, this. and I remember grabbing the first piece of paper I could and halfway through starting, I wrote a story, a chapter about church planting. Jerry Falwell had done it, and I think it was Rudy Holland, a young boy who lived down the street from Jerry Falwell, had gone, to, had gone over to Roanoke and built a great church. And so I began to invite people to come into chapel that first year. I said, come tell your story of what God has done through you. Come tell your story. And time after time, I'd sit in chapel. I'm writing like mad. I'm not writing. What am I? I'm taking notes. And I did a book. It's called um, The Average Man Against Insurmountable Odds with Limited Resources and Difficult Circumstances. The Average Man Against insurmountable odds can build a church to the glory of God. 27 words. I said, I want to give a book a title that's so big that nobody can remember it, but they, can, they can't forget the truth that's there. 
If you consider yourself average, you qualify to be used of God. If you consider yourself just a C student, you qualify to go out and build a great church for God. In the seminary, I had a student always sit on the back row. He systematically flunked Hebrew, just barely got out of our, our class. Al Henson went to Nashville, Tennessee, built Lighthouse Baptist Church, planted it in apartment building laundry room. And uh, Dr. Falwell and I went and dedicated that first building, and we flew out and dedicated that second building. And so flying back, Jerry said, how did he do that? He said, how did he do that? I said, Jerry, it was his faith. He trusted God. He believed God, and God would bless him. Next point, be a generation two champion a second generation who wants to do everything, who wants to do everything that the founders did, but do more and do it better. Elijah did seven miracles. That's the old one. Elisha, the young man, did 14 miracles. Elijah, he was a loner. He was, matter of fact, he's called Elijah the Tishbite. The word Tishbite might be a town but it could mean a description, an adjective of who he was. Tishbite Tishbite means loner. He was out praying by himself in the wilderness. He was always somewhere where people weren't. He was, in every sense, a loner. And here was Elijah and young Elisha. He was a counsel to kings. Elijah fought the kings. Uh, Whereas one, the old was by himself, the young man always had a team walking around, working, working together. Think in terms. Think in terms of what's happened. Elijah, the great man of God, stood for God, and so did Elisha, but they did it different ways. We expect you to do as much, but do it differently. I like to think in terms of President Roosevelt in World War II, my war. He won the war, but Harry Truman dropped the bomb that ended the war. Think in terms of other people. David killed Goliath, fought the battles, but his son Solomon built the temple. Think in terms of others who went out and did something for God. Think in terms, I thought of Truett. They thought the greatest pastor in the world. No one could ever take the place of Truett First Baptist Church in Dallas. But Criswell comes along, great powerful preacher, and he made the city, made the people forget there was ever a truant. And therefore, second generation can be as big, if not bigger, than first generation. Next point, the second generation champion must go as far as their leader went to get the double portion of the blessing. What would you ask for today if you were to ask for something? As they continued on and talked, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, and they separated the two of them. And so, think in terms of young Elisha, if he had turned back, he would have missed the greatest spectacle of all, this chariot from heaven taking his hero into heaven. And don't turn back, keep on going. Second-generation Christians must give up their own identity and their old ways to get a double portion. And therefore, 
young Elisha, when he saw it all, he tore his clothes, symbolic of, oh, I'm not fit. He tore his cloak, I'm not fit to serve God. He took his old clothes and tore them up and took the mantle of old Elisha. And sometimes you have to give up your way of doing things, your way of trying things, your way, you've got to give that up. Why? Because God has a different way for you. And so that's part of schooling. Your teachers will tell you what you must sacrifice. Your teachers will challenge you what you must learn. Your teachers will stretch you. And sometimes you'll cry out in the middle of a final exam, I can't do this. But don't quit. Keep on and persevere. Second generation Christians have to go on. Second generation champions must prevail. What was the greatest thing about Jerry Falwell? His bold faith, his favorite verse, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he existed, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He knew that God existed. He knew that God called him. He knew that this was what God wanted to do. His faith, he said, I don't have great faith in God. I have faith in a great God. Bold faith. Bold prayers. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For verily, assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says shall come shall be done, he shall have whatsoever he says. Mark 11, 22 and 23. And sometimes you have to say what you want God to do. In 1978, one of our traveling teams uh, had an accident up in York, Pennsylvania. Charles Hughes, who may be sitting here today, was almost killed. His head was smashed. They took the top of his head off so that as his brain began to swell, it wouldn't implode and turn to mush. And his brain swollen, the top of his head, the skull was off for 14 days. I thought, I said, oh, Charles was a great guy. And I was grieving for his death. The nurse came up to Dr. Hughes, the first dean of our seminary, the father of Charles and said, would you sign the papers? We'd like to take his vital organs to donate to other people. This would be a great gesture. Young man gives everything he has for other people to live. And Dr. Hughes says, no, God gave us that boy. We adopted that boy. I believe God will save him. And the nurse said, and it won't happen. And he went to the chapel. And Dr. Falwell followed and they prayed. And Dr. Falwell combed back and he said, Elmer, get everyone to pray. Stop whatever you're doing right now. Pray right now. This is critical. And we prayed. I remember the people surrounding my desk. We all knelt. And they all begged God. But all I could say, Lord, I believe, help thou my... I did not have faith to believe that God would do something. That night in prayer meeting, Dr. Falwell flew back. And he stood at Thomas Road. He said, I so believe that Charles will live. But I want to announce right now, he's going to be our graduation speaker for 1978. And I wanted to fall off the chair. 
I was thinking, oh, Jerry, here's my faithful. I said, you're going to be embarrassed when it doesn't happen. And I, that was what I'm thinking. Honestly, I don't have the faith. And I'm thinking, it's not going to happen. Dr. Falwell said, Jesus said, whosoever, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he shall have whatsoever he says. Charles will be our speaker this year. That year, Charles was the speaker. Had a big bandage on the top of his head. The bandage, huge. Graduation that year was right out next to Reba Thomas in that parking lot between Reba Thomas. It was backed up to the hill. It was a misty rain that particular day. I stood at the back and I was weeping because Charles spoke. No one remembers what he said. If he could have just said, Mary had a little lamb and sat down, it would have been enough. <laughs> what he was, was so great. It was greater than what he said. God had done a miracle. We all knew that. And I remember standing back, trying to take some notes to write a story on it, and crying and saying, God, God, surely you've done this great thing. Bold faith leads to bold prayers, which leads to bold action. The rabbit can't climb a tree. Remember your dad saying that? We would face a problem. We needed money. The rabbit can't climb a tree, but it has to get it done. And we would get it done. And learn the lesson. Some things you think you can't do, you've got to do. The rabbit can't climb the tree, but it has to, and we would get it done. My last point, second generation must begin doing exploits as his or her leader has done exploits. Today, trust God for big things. Begin trusting God for bigger things than anything you've ever asked for. As I think back of some of those early students who went out and did great things for God, they would fast and pray for three days, fast and pray for 10 days, and some of, some of them were fasting and praying for 40 days, trusting God to do great things. In the, in the 70s, we faced a great battle. The SEC, Security and Exchange Commission, brought a suit against the school, against the church, because we had sold bonds. We were in the Roanoke Federal Courthouse. Dr. Falwell stood up and he said, Judge, they want to come and claim we're in bankrupt, but if not, he said, there's not a single person who's ever lost money. And the federal people, they've brought a case against us. Do they have anybody to testify on their behalf? Do you have anybody? They said, no. And so we won that case. In the 80s, IRS came in. Another ministry had, because of their misbehavior, had gone under. And IRS thought, sure, since we were on television, they were on television. And for two years, they went through every book, every page of our ledger, every check we had written, looked at every place. And one day I was standing at the water cooler. This IRS man who was a deacon in a Baptist church in Charlotte was talking. He said, you know, Dr. Towns, he said, this is the most amazing place. He said, I was, I've been to every place. He said, 
we haven't so much as found a hundred dollars that's been misspent in this place. We expected to find many, many, he said, what we did find is you've got a very old and a very crude bookkeeping system. You got to update it. He said, if you didn't have such honest people spending the money, keeping the books, he said, somebody could come in and steal millions, but he said, we have found nothing stolen. When Jerry Falwell uh, took on Hustler magazine and sued them, there was a man came, mafia came to town. They went to every place in town looking for that one exception where they could say they wanted to nail Jerry on a sexual sin someplace. They couldn't find anything. And if the mafia can't find anything wrong and the IRS can't find anything wrong, we must be doing something right, folks. <laughs> Are you going to be a second generation champion? I want to tell you, in the old days, there were a lot of difficulties. In the 90s, we faced bankruptcy. And I remember Dr. Falwell standing up in chapel and said, I don't even know if we've got enough money to buy toilet paper. The next day, the most amazing thing happened. Faculty members, PhDs who stayed with us, walking in, we all had bags of toilet paper bringing to school. We said, we are not going to let this school go down. Gang, the past has been victories. The past has been hard. The past, there were times when we scraped bottom, but we've turned out some outstanding graduates. And when I begin to think, I could name preachers. That's my forte. But I can think in terms of Sid Breen. You know, the guy who slid home in Atlanta to put Atlanta Braves in the World Series. One of our guys. I think in terms of military. I think in terms of business. Uh, there was a young girl named Bowman, not ready to do Judy. And she went to, uh, she went to, oh, what was the name of that place in South Sea Island? She went down to Samoa and she started a school an ACE school, and we raised money and she bought an old, an old abandoned uh, motel, turned it into an ACE school. I'm flying down to see the school. I'm sitting at the waiting room in Hawaii, and I see this nice, cheerful man sitting over there, and he just was smiling. I went over and said, you're so cheerful, what have you got to smile about? He said, I'm going home to see my grandchildren. He's the king of Samoa the king of that island kingdom. We got to talking together, and he said, my children go to that Christian school. I said, I'm going down to see that Christian school. He said, you know, we have a government school. And he said, my government. And he said, that government school, he said, they can't teach my children to read, to write, and especially they can't teach my children to do right. He said, that is the best school in the world spoken of by the king of Samoa, of one of our education majors. And this was Bob Bowen's daughter. Bob Bowen was our bookstore manager. And she went down and out of a hard place carved out a great school. So whether you're going to be an educator or sports or business or politics or wherever, determined to be a champion. You may be a second generation champion, but I want to tell you, the great days, they're gone.
but the future days can be greater. Don't go searching for Elijah. Where are the Elijahs of the Lord God? Don't go searching for Jerry Falwell. Where are the Jerry Falwells of the Lord God? Go searching for God. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? The most important thing is you find God, that you ground your life on God, that you serve God, put him first, and God will use you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. Who will be a second generation Elijah? Would you stand up today and say, Dr. Towns, I've heard, and I want to be a second-generation Elijah. I want to be second-generation. I want to do more for God. I want to do it bigger. I want to do it better than anybody else. Today, would you stand? I want to be a second-generation Elijah. I want to be more. I want to do more. I want to do it bigger. I want to do it better. If you'll make that commitment, the future of liberty is as bright as the promises of God. Father, I pray. I pray uh, for these who are standing. Lord, build into them faith. Lord, use them great. May they go out and do exploits. May they build churches, build businesses, build schools. May they capture nations through politics. God, I pray, use the second generation in a greater way than you have the first generation, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.